Welcome back to The Docket, the seldom fictitious, somewhat disordered, occasional audio bulletin from your friends at Best Evidence. I'm Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here, as always, with Eve Beatty. Eve. Hello. Pretty good. Hello. Today we are talking about fictitious disorder cases. Uh, This was formerly known as Munchausen's by proxy. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what caused the shift. I feel like we talked about this linguistic shift on the newsletter at some point. Maybe not. Um, In any case, it's been an ongoing preoccupation of the culture I'm sure forever, but certainly it seems like in the fictional scripted space, every medical procedural has like one of these per season. Um, And uh, cop procedurals have them too. There's like a handful that I can remember from Law and Order Vintage Mothership. Mm -hmm. Um. I, it's not probably a mystery as to why we're so preoccupied with it, but just in case it was one of those things that it's like, Eve and I are preoccupied with it, nobody else gives a good goddamn, let me just see what I've got in stock at Exhibit B and yeah. like gut check myself vis-a-vis like the proportion. Just what I have in stock right now, I have the Mary Beth Tinning case, there's the Tanya Reed case, which is actually how we got here in today's docket, because I forget how, but I came across a vintage Skip Hollinsworth piece about Tanya Reed's case in Texas Monthly. We'll link that and a bunch of other stuff in the show notes. In stock, I also have Priscilla Phillips, Ellen Bohm, Paula Sims. Some of these are, I mean, all of them are kind of disputed. And then that's not counting the... Um, Grey's Anatomy lady who was not a fictitious disorder by proxy person. She just faked her own illness. And of course, Gypsy Blanchard, the act, Michelle Dean's outstanding writing. This, I wonder if there's both something about the um, misogynistic, dark, inchoate stuff that these cases and stories bring up, but also that it lets writers who are really good and balanced and understand all the issues surrounding it, if it lets them thrive in some way that, I mean, Hollinsworth is going to write the hell out of whatever it is, even if it's like boring bank fraud. Um, Anyway, I've been talking for a week. (laughs) Eve, what do you think the factors are that make these cases so... Um, grabby, for lack of a less flip term. Well, I think, I'm, you know, first, there's the whole, like, how can she do that? Because as you know, as a lady, the only reason we exist is to have children. And mm-hmm. if we don't have children, uh, I don't know about you, but, you know, we have this deep, sad void in our hearts and we cry yes. every night before we go to sleep. We don't know this what is... real love is, Eve. It's really, a, oh, no, dude. it's really a shame. I know, I know. I it, my my horrible void of a life as I sit here <laughs> doing an audio thing with you as opposed to working in a cube. I know, um, I know it sucks. <laughs> we're, uh, we're, a sad, uh, we're a sad second place, but at least we have mm, each other. I know, Sorry. it's so true. It's so true. That, now that sounds, I feel like I'm shading everyone else, but I do think that there's this whole thing like, you know, a mother's love and um, dark and twisted. I also think that 
you know, it wraps up uh, the fun medical mystery stuff. You know, mm-hmm. this like, you know, even though there were sort of these fictitious disorder plot lines on House, House did fine without it. You know, and all that stuff is right. interesting. Talking about medical stuff is interesting. Sure. All that stuff is fun. We all, oh, sepsis. So I think that there's that aspect to it, too. But I think finally there is the whole, like, innocent victim thing. Mm-hmm. Like, truly innocent victim in a way that, um, you know, few creatures other than perhaps animals are. And I right. think that that's what makes, like, the sort of the um, the Blanchard case a little more difficult to sort of wrap your arms around. But also, I think why, you know, it becomes more interesting because there is this sort of like, you know, revenge thing. But finally, you know, I'll just point out that I think for people who are sort of in our age group or maybe just slightly younger, we were first introduced to this in The Success, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, and I think that that's the first place we sort of thought about it was, uh, was it Mishka Barton? Yeah, it was. I always young, forget that. Young, young. Um, future star baby. of the OC, and baby. that is arguably the scariest moment in the Sixth Sense. You know that thing in the tent too. And I, it made. A, I think I was. I must have been an adult when I saw that movie, but still, it made a huge impression on me. And I think that that sort of shaped a lot of pop culture makers, not just pop culture consumers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the one that um, stuck with me probably was whatever ER iteration. It was, yeah. I'm sure it was season one, because all medical dramas kind of do the same things in their first season. But that, I think, also was how I knew once the mom puts the soup down in front of Misha yeah. Barton, that it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot going on at the, um, a lot of subconscious resonance um, in play here, you've got the fact that your mother is supposed to protect and love you no matter what. You've got society's just utter resistance to the idea that some women are not cut out. I mean, some men aren't too, whatever. Some dogs, who cares? Some people shouldn't. And then sometimes this might be what happened when they did, or if there was abuse in their background, like just all this stuff that like, I think there are some um, markers for these kinds of cases that are a little easier to talk about and closer to the surface here in 2023 than they were when I think we really started thinking a lot about these things in the 80s and early 90s. But I mean, our like American culture's relationship to the nuclear family and these Rockwellian ideas of what a mom is and provides. And there's the con slash fraud aspect, which I'm always like, hmm, like I'm always compelled by that and the medical mystery. But also the flip side of that is the um, like the same reason that people devour serial killer stories that it's like, let me just see, let me just learn everything I can so that I can um, form a baffle against this happening to me. And I think there is something really scary about the idea that a determined woman with not much training except in how to quote, get away with this, which she may not even be conscious that she's doing can 
kind of shine it on with the medical community for this long. Like there is something really scary about that, that you both want to try to control it so you would know the signs, but also like, oh, well, you know, surely most doctors would know better and would catch it. And it's like, "Mm, I mean, there's a lot of these cases. Well, I want to get back to the doctors catching it thing in a second. But as you're speaking, it occurs to me that maybe there's something that we're sort of not addressing because it's uncomfortable to address. And that's that this behavior exists on a continuum that we have all taken part in. We have all we have all lied to get play sick to get out of school or work, mm-hmm. which includes that whole, like, <laughs> Sarah, I can't do the podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just too sick. You know, we have all done that. And we have all, whether we admit it or not, even sort of done that thing where while we're doing it, we have convinced ourselves in that moment that we feel unwell, right? Haven't mm-hmm. you? It, it, and add to that the, I think, less universal, but still, I think, fairly common thing, the attention that one gets when one is ill, especially when one is a child, is extremely intoxicating. Um, And I am sure that there are a lot of people on this Zoom listening to this podcast right now that as a child put on a cast, as you know, a fake cast, put on a Band-Aid to get attention, had a headache, faked a stomach ailment just as a child to to stand out. So to me, this exists on a relatable continuum, but it's just the behavior writ large. And to me, right. that is some of the sort of the crime. Yeah, serial killer stuff, Ed Gein, you know, I was complaining about Ed Gein again today. Ed Gein <laughs> is completely unrelatable, I think, for almost all of us here, right? Like, none of us are going to do what he did. No. And that's what makes it fascinating. But just as fascinating are the things where we have a taste of it, but we haven't gone, like, whole hog. You know, right. and this is something, you know, I talk about, like, you know, in the, um, I've mentioned, like, well, you know, lots of us have at least considered shoplifting, and there's always some commenter who's like, well, I never have, maybe I'm the only one, and I think, liar! <laughs> liar! We all have at least thought of it if we have or, not shoplifted, I mean, or is, stolen money from work or something. It is possible that the best evidence reader slash listenership, it has a higher um, proportion of rectitude than gen pop slash us personally because we're a couple of uh degenerates (laughs) (laughs) childless degenerates oh god the best kind just kidding Uh, we love you childful degenerates also obviously we do we do and we have we have a lot of respect for you because that's not something i could do but i think that that's a big part of it too is it's it's that strange combination of utterly alien and the, I cannot imagine f- faking my dog's illness to get attention. You know what I mean? Right. And that's the closest I can come to that. I'm sorry. I think it's disgusting when people compare their relationship with their <laughs> pets to their relationship with their children. I think it's vile. But that's, you know, just trying to relate to it. I cannot imagine doing that, if nothing else, because of fucking expense. God, but seriously. Uh, yeah, I know. But still, like... I think that that's a big part of it. And I, but I also, Sarah, what I want to ask you is at what point in sort of the, um, the, 
blurring of the chalk line from, you know, a mental health crisis that prompts one to behave this way to con. When we're talking about a fictitious disorder that is not by proxy, that, you know, I am claiming that I have cancer so I can launch a GoFundMe, at what point... And maybe let's let's think of like a real world case. Do we feel like it, it hops from mental illness to just flat out con? I think it depends on the case. I mean, I think that you bring up an excellent point about, you know, being a kid and seeing someone who broke their arm really fucking floridly at the roller rink and then mm-hmm. just being jelly that they had a cast with like the red gauze and that everybody was signing it and cooing over them. And, oh, it's so sad that you can't go swimming. And it's sort of like, well, that does suck. For her, it was always someone named Lauren in my class who was falling down like crazy. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, it's like you do you do want that attention. And I think that's tied in also to ongoing complaints that often rise to the level of negligence and malpractice from women and people of color generally, like being accused of drug seeking, um, not being listened to about their pain and pain management, um, being consistently told that they're like, you're too fat to conceive or whatever shitty thing the medical establishment is telling them, but if this same woman who might feel kind of invisible in other areas of her life brings in her child and is like, you know, he was blue, you have to help me. Yeah. And then everybody's hanging on her every word. I, I think that's very powerful. To answer what you actually asked me just now, I think it depends, but I think think that, like you said before, in some cases, it does start to be this thing where they start to believe their own bullshit, which like, is also true of a lot of sociopaths. Like, I think OJ Simpson actually thinks either that he didn't do it or that he doesn't remember and, you know, but I think also that there is a compulsive aspect to this with some sufferers um, that you can't, uh, but now I'm torn because it's like any other con that you look at it and you're like, wouldn't it be easier to just get a fucking job? But it's not necessarily about that. Like it, they're working. A con is work. It takes setup. It takes commitment. You got to stick the landing. But with cons like these, like not just the effort, but the, I mean, like physically it's very difficult and wearing and if you gave yourself a chemo port, like yeah. part of me feels like nobody can be that delusional, but like maybe they, like maybe they are. I think the Grey's Anatomy lady, it's not that she's not responsible. And if she defrauded people with a GoFundMe to pay for whatever cashmere chemo caps, then she needs to give that money back, say she's sorry, and you know, maybe do a little time. But I'm not sure they can, I'm not sure they can control it. And I... But what about like Scamanda? That's the fake cancer. Right. One of the fake can because I... One of the fake, I know, right. That that really narrows it down. Yeah, it was like, oh, her. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, again, it depends. Like, what is your take on her? Do you think she's just 
full of shit or do you think this is something that she can't control because i feel like gray's anatomy lady i don't know why i can't remember her actual name i think it might be sarah um i it did seem based on follow-up coverage like she couldn't stop that there was something there was something in her past that was not addressed with cognitive therapy that like she couldn't she couldn't stop herself from doing it. Oh, see, this is, see, my take on Grey's Anatomy Lady, whose name I can't also can't remember, but maybe that's good because that way we can't get sued as exactly. easily. Um, <laughs> the Grey's Anatomy Lady, here's my thinking on that. And I would love an adaptation of the excellent coverage that um, appeared in the cut and elsewhere oh, uh, so about good. that story, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, the cut is, I think, one of the best sources for fictitious disorder coverage for whatever reason. Uh Um, And I'm going to bring them up again in a little bit when we, as we continue this conversation, but the Grace Anatomy lady, a big part of it was using illness as leverage in this troubled relationship. Right. But I also think that it was basically staking a claim and market differentiation within the writer's room. Mm -hmm. Um, As I, as I recall, this is a person who at least was culturally Jewish, um, identified as white, identified as cis, and um, in a fairly diverse writer's room. And one thing I've noticed about white women, especially white women in sort of our age, is that a lot of times they get really frantic about differentiating themselves in situations of diversity. um, Because I think that in many cases, they had to fight to get where they are, and then suddenly, when they are not the minority, um, like fucked up shit happens. Yeah. So I feel oh, like yeah. that is a huge part of it. Is that no? But see, I have this. I have this thing. This makes me special. This makes me different. This makes me representative of a group that is otherwise not represented in the writer's room. And so I feel like there are those moves. But I also feel that those are, once again, outgrowths of the receipt of attention as a kid thing. Right. And as a woman thing, and as a, you know, white woman who might be feeling like she's disappearing in the circumstances that you described to be clear this is not a defense of this behavior i'm just trying to explain it not the same thing um but i i also think that there are a lot of sort of knee-jerk beliefs and behaviors that everybody all of us have about ourselves that if we are confronted with how like who we actually are according to other people it can get flinchy really fast and you're just like what but what are you talking about um fortunately i'm just like white knuckle controlling it's both environmental and genetic and i try not to be but i also have to acknowledge that it's true but something like this i think that you know it's like i used to have this um I used to be in this relationship with a guy who I think really believed that he was a feminist and an ally. And then it would be pointed out like certain ways that he was about who, like when the spotlight was turned on, who was walking out and who was over to the side at the podium introducing him. And Mm. when this was pointed out, he's like, what are you talking about? I did it. And I'm like, I don't think you're aware of it. I'm just telling you. Yeah. We all walk behind you. So, 
I have a feeling Grey's Anatomy lady, like, I think she was cognizant, but I think she also couldn't stop. Yeah. Amanda, I think it was much more um, a cynical, like, catfishy thing that was happening. And that's for some people, negative attention is better than none. And, you know, there are a lot of, you know, communities and circumstances in this country where a woman with a small child who is colicky is just going to feel like she's being erased by her own sleepless madness. And this may be one of those outcomes. Yeah. So if anyone's responsible, it's um, our shitty system that doesn't insure healthcare and insurance for kids and doesn't support parents in their choices. (laughs) You have just given me such a great segue into sort of the flip side of this, which, um, I, you know, which I think if anybody who's listening, like watch, take care of Maya, which Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned, you know, on best evidence, isn't true crime in sort of the sense that we typically discuss, but it does have this element that I think will make it of interest to a lot of our readers and listeners. It's something I wrote about for Vanity Fair. And um, once again, this is another story that was excellently covered in the cut. But even before that, it was excellently covered by a general assignment reporter at um, the Sarasota Florida newspaper who was just sort of looking for stuff to write about and stumbled upon the... um, the John Hop- Johns Hopkins Children's Hospital in the Sarasota area. It, I had no idea until I saw this film that Johns Hopkins is kind of a chain now. I didn't like, either. Yeah, no, no, because I kept thinking like, so they were driving this kid up from Florida, to, you know, and it turns right. out that the name is now on all of these other hospitals, which is wild to me and something that i should probably know more about before i just like say hey that's crazy maybe this happens everywhere but it's like it's essentially a chain now so anyway the point is that this is one in florida where and the other thing to be aware of is that the child welfare system in florida you're breaking news sarah things in florida are screwed up um even though what as we record this a hurricane is hitting florida you know we wish Everyone there the best, except for the baddies. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Florida's jacked up. And one of the ways that it's jacked up is that their child welfare system is privatized. And what that means is that uh, anytime, you know, you take your kid to the hospital, of course, people are looking to make sure that there isn't a situation that involves abuse. Nothing to do with fictitious disorder stuff, typically. Um, but in Florida, the person who's doing the evaluating, who gets called in by um, the frontline workers, is somebody who works for a private contractor with the state. And um, there was this one woman, a longtime doctor who worked for this private contractor, who had this enormous number of um, children that she claimed were the victims of parents with you know, with this fictitious disorder and the children were removed from their care, you know, hearing after hearing within the hospitals. And um, here's the thing that in almost all of these cases to get their kids back, um, people agreed to essentially arbitration with, but within the context of the state. 
So one of the only families that didn't is the family that you hear about and take care of Maya. And that's, you watch this film and it is, the evidence feels overwhelming that this doctor is seeing these cases of um, abuse that are not there. Right. And by the end of the film, you're seeing all these other people who are speaking out about it, but cannot pursue legal action. Well, and here's the flip side of that aspect that we were talking about before, this sort of um, holy light that moms are bathed in, which like, okay, often that's justified. But then the flip side of that is that like, if the mom in question betrays the societal trust, like somehow um, parents are a public trust, which is like a whole sociopolitical can of worms that I am not qualified to get into, but absolutely is horseshit and an unwinnable fatal game for a lot of people, um, that once there's the hint of um, abuse, never mind abuse, but even like um, ambivalence, that Mm -hmm. The system and public opinion will turn on women so fast. And this is one of the ways that women or, you know, parents can't win, basically. Because it's like, you've got to be perfect and committed and we need to be able to hang a halo on you. But if it looks like maybe you're not perfect at the job and like, why did like get a fucking strap for the changing table bar? But like, how did my brother and I live to adulthood? My mother was not perfect, but I don't think anyone would have dreamed that they were just like, wow, she's clumsy. And as it turns out, I had an inner ear problem and I was clumsy, but God forbid if I were a baby now. That she would be, I mean, they might lock her up. So I think it's just like that um, carceral system always finding a way to, to fuck over the ladies. And this is just another way. And the kids sometimes get lost in that too. And I think the Hollinsworth piece was top notch because it like it protected the identity of her then minor children, but also get like gave us some follow up like, well, here's what. The, here's what the middle kid is up to now, and here's what Iowa law enforcement is doing with this. And so that was, I mean, that's Hollinsworth for you. He's hes good. He tells you what you need to know and stays out of the way. But I think these cases are um, a preoccupation for me because it's like, oh, here's another buffet of ways in which um, <laughs> society is disgustingly disgustingly misogynist so yeah and this seemed to be the case with um these people who were accused of this abuse at the you know at, at these hospitals is that um sort of the common trait was that these were people who were questioning medical orders who were pushing back um mm -hmm. especially with certain doctors or with nurses that were making their own calls. And it was like, you'd push back. And like, this was, you know, this was even like evident in text messages. She's arguing with me too much. I'm going to call on child protective services. Like wow. it was clear. It was clearly, you know, just sort of like you fuck with me, I'm going to fuck with you. And so, you know, to your point, it's like the misogyny gets you on either side, either because you did it or because you won't shut up. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Oh, boy. So, yeah. <laughs> Mammarian Americans, we we really have our work cut out still. It sucks. Yep. All right, we good on that? I don't know. I'm starting to feel a little sick, Sarah. Yeah. I'm starting to not feel very good. I think you need to mount and go fund me for me. And <laughs> subscribers will get this. I know. We're we're so frail. We're such shrinking violets. We really need so true. We really need your help. Um, actually, we don't. We're fine. But if you want to subscribe, you could do that. As you know, bestevidence.fyi. We would love it, and we have we have a huge archive, guys. My God. For four plus years. Yeah, my God. We did it. I know. We did. <laughs> and we're going to keep doing it next week. What are we doing? Well, we're bet crapping Rob Lowe live. <laughs> what is a bet crap? It's the best evidence true crime resume percentage that tells you how much of a dude or lady's CV on IMDb is true crime. There's so many acronyms flying around. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm about to choke on those and have to go to the hospital. Anyway, we are going to be doing that live. Rob Lowe has 105 items on his <laughs> IMDb CV. I don't know what this percentage is going to look like, but we're going to have a very interesting time checking it out. Check us out, as always, at bestevidence.fyi. And if you want us to talk about anything, 919-75-CRIME. We can do another live background. We can talk about a different genre. We're here for you. Get in touch.